Morning. My name is Dallas. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 11. This morning, verse 29, it says this. It says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Let's pray as we get started. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Uh, we're so thankful that you speak into really the core, the deepest part of our being. And that you, in fact, don't just settle for a part of us, but you want the whole thing. And we thank you for that reality. Speak to us this morning, Holy Spirit. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. We are in the final week of our Renovate series. So that may be good news to some or bad news to others. I don't know. Maybe some of you are ready to move on to something else. Or maybe some of you can't get enough. Don't tell me either way, okay, because we're moving on. But uh, we're going to talk about the soul today. So we've talked about the mind, we've talked about the heart, we've talked about the body, and you can go back on YouTube and check those messages out, but today we're going to talk about the soul. And this one is very interesting because we don't really know what it is, but yet we talk about it often, and we know it's very important, we know it's something that's like deep within us. But we don't really know what it is. And I, in fact, I found a hard time finding much content this week to kind of go off of, especially in Christian circles. Now, in psychology, I found some things, although it's kind of ironic, but psychology, now a lot, of, a lot of psychologists claim that there's not a soul, but psychology itself in the Greek is the study of the soul. So it's very ironic to me. But so I couldn't find much in Christian circles and things, but we know it's extremely important. In fact, some people would say, we don't have a soul, we are a soul. And so we know that this is deep and very, very important. We just don't know what it is. But Jesus himself says that one soul is more important than the entire world. He says, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? The soul is so very important. It is deep within us. And we knew that all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, we knew that we had a soul. And that's why I think, and not to get on a tangent this morning, but that's why I think we can't allow the world to say that Christians are narrow-minded and the, the secular world is the intellectuals, because Jesus was focused on the biggest part of us. So the world today would say, you do what makes you happy, and happiness is a feeling associated with the heart, a very small part of the heart. But the heart is just a part of something bigger called the soul. So Jesus didn't just say, hey, do what makes you happy. He wasn't so narrowly focused in that way. He wanted to get to the deepest, the biggest thing, the most important thing. And that's why Matthew 11 says that, that if we follow after him, we will find rest for our souls. See, he wants our souls to find rest, and that's the big picture. The world may focus on mere symptoms, but Jesus focuses on entire systems. Now, that's, that's really important for us to realize. I mean, that, that is really important because Jesus doesn't just settle for one aspect of us. He wants the entire thing to be in a good place. That's so important. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. We'll read it again. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
question I have for us as we get started is, really, what would it take for our souls to find rest this morning? What would it take? And I think that's important to evaluate because some of us are waiting on a circumstance to change before our souls can be at rest. But the reality Jesus is offering here is something so much more transcendent of just that. And that's the goal that Jesus had, not mere happiness, but to find rest for our souls. Now, let's define the soul before we move forward. All right, this is just my definition. You may find a way better one out there, but um, it is, the soul is the interconnected, deep culmination of all the other aspects of human life. Easy enough, right? I mean, it's just easy definition. Now, it, think about it like this. The first week, we talked about the mind and how the things that we think about get banked into the brain and our other structures and functions. That same reality is true with the soul, that all the other aspects of our lives that are more at the surface, those things get banked deep within us into our soul and really make us the essence of who we are. So think about it like I should have, should have given you guys a graphic. Man, I did this Wednesday night. I said, wouldn't it be great if I would have done a graphic? And here we are again. I learned nothing. No graphic. But think about it like this. If you had like circles with the body and the, and the mind and the heart, and then all those arrows kind of pointed down towards the soul deeper within you, that's basically what we're talking about here. That's what we mean by soul. It's the culmination. It's the deep culmination of everything else. All of our other systems form us into the soul that we have. And there's three basic statuses of the soul that I want to process here this morning with you guys. Number one is the wounded soul. I would say probably half of us or more may have a wounded soul right now. I'd say that's extremely common, a wounded soul. And because the soul is so valuable and deep that if our soul is wounded, we're going to have a very, very hard time. And you know, if you have a bad day or even a bad week, that may really affect your mind and your heart. But if, if you continue on that path for months and months, now your soul is at risk of being fractured or wounded. Or maybe it doesn't even take months and months. Maybe there's one big tragic event that rocks you even further than your mind or heart could rock you, but goes straight to the core of who you are into your soul. And it can wound some things deep within us. It happens all the time. And I'd say many people walk around with wounded souls. And that can be very, very devastating. Because if the soul is wounded, really nothing else can be whole in our lives. I mean, think about your relationships. If, if, if you walk around with a wounded soul and I walk around with a wounded soul, it's going to be very difficult for our relationship to be whole, to be complete. And so that's the first one. Uh, the second one is the singing soul. Now, the soul often will only make itself known under really two scenarios. One is when alarm bells go off. Hey, something is really wrong here. And it's not so much just like a sadness because that's more of focused in the heart. It's more of an utter devastation. It's when things are really, really wrong, the soul may from deep within us, make itself come to the surface when things are really, really wrong. But also, it may come to the surface when there's just immense joy. And it's not so much just a, a, an emotion of happiness, a moment of happiness. 
This is more a deep satisfaction within us. That's the singing soul. Man, when our minds and our, our hearts and our body and our will and everything's kind of been focused in on the goodness of God and we're experiencing peace in those areas, that can penetrate on down to our souls. And the singing soul, man, can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, when we get to a point where our souls are singing, that's a pretty good place to be, is it not? You guys know that song, uh, the old hymn, maybe some of you are already thinking about it right now, How Great Thou Art, Then Sings My Soul, right? Isn't that, I mean, wouldn't that be just a wonderful place to be? And I would contend that almost nobody in this moment has a singing soul. And so for us, we're going to talk a little bit here in just a minute about how is it that our souls can sing. And it takes a lot. And it takes a lot for that to happen. And then the third option, this is what I would say, half people have a wounded soul. And then the third one, I'd say they have a, a soul that's dead altogether or numb to its core. And sometimes people have really been rocked by life. There is deep hurt within them. Or maybe they've been numb to relationships for a long time, or they, they, they don't have purpose, or they're really struggling with different diagnoses or different things, and, and their soul really deadens. That happens very, very often. And when your soul is dead, there really can't be any life found anywhere else around you. And so that's why we want to talk about these things. Now, the good news is, <laughs> we can step into our souls being restored. Whether you have a wounded soul this morning or you have a dead soul this morning, we can step into our souls finding rest. Uh, David talks in Psalm 23. He says, he restores my soul. God can restore your soul this morning. And I, I would contend that many of us have walked around for a long time with a wounded or dead soul. And maybe, maybe it's been since childhood, some of us. Maybe, man, you know, our parents weren't any good or whatever the case is, and you just were wounded early on. And you've never stopped to think about, how can my soul begin to be in a good place? Or maybe you've just been numb to relationships for a long time. I think that's common with men. And we just feel like, meh, I mean, whatever, Right? But the thing we got to do first before we really get into some practical things is just believe that God can restore our souls. I mean, the one who parted the seas, the one who closed the mouths of lions, the one who resurrected a dude whose body was in decay, it's nothing for him to restore our souls. And we've got to believe that here this morning before we can move anywhere else. Now, assuming we all believe that, how does that happen? How do we step into soul restoration? Well, this is one of the most underrated but vastly important verses in all the scriptures. Psalm 19:7. It says this. It says, "The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul." See, it's God's it's God's law that refreshes the soul. Remember how David was was so fixated on saying things like his law is like honey to my lips, man. He just wanted to embrace the law of God. That's where we find restoration for our soul. Now, it's important to admit, or not to admit, but to note, <laughs> that we cannot be saved through the law. That is only through grace in what Jesus Christ has done. Our souls are saved by grace through faith. But we can find restoration for our soul through the law of God. In fact, 
I would even contend you could make a great argument that the entire reason for the law in the first place is to lead our souls into restoration. Remember in the book of Exodus when God gives the law, and by the way, God doesn't give the law until after he has freed his people from captivity, and that's very important. He doesn't say, if you can get these laws right, then I'll think about saving you. No, no, he saves them from captivity, and then he gives them the law. And I think one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses is to make us think that that God's law is burdensome on us. That it's just something that we, quote-unquote, have to do, and we do need to be obedient here this morning. But it's actually to find rest for our souls. And since the beginning, it's been that way. Let's go to Exodus 20, chapter 2. This is right before God gives the Ten Commandments. He says this. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then he says, you shall have no other gods before me, and so forth with the Ten Commandments. It's as if to say, hey, you've been brought out of slavery, and now here are these laws to bring your soul into the rest that is found through your freedom. And by meditating on these laws and obeying these laws, that's going to protect your heart so that you don't go back to a mode of slavery within your soul. It's so important. And I think at an early age, we, we learn the Ten Commandments, but we never really learn why the Ten Commandments. We take a step back and we say God's intention was for us to live into the freedom that he's offered to us and to find rest for our souls. And he's saying, hey, here are the protections. Here are the guardrails. Here's the guideline. Here's the structure in place to help you live into the freedom that he's already given to us. Remember, he saves our souls and then he wants to restore our souls. So he brings them out of captivity And now he's saying, here's how you live into this freedom that you've been offered. He doesn't say, man, I've freed you, so now good luck. Hope you get it right. No, he guides them. And just like we would anybody else. I mean, if you have a kid who's starting their first job, what do you say? Do you you tell them some guidelines or do you just say, good luck? No, you say, Man, what would be good is for you to show up to work on time, even when you don't feel like it. To really think about other people, to to be productive, to have purpose, right? And it's not because you're trying to burden them. It's because you know the best path for them to experience life and to actually find rest for their souls. That's what God is doing here with the laws. But often, we don't think of it that way. We think it's burdensome. We think it's heavy. But in reality, what God is trying to do is to invite our souls to be at rest. And Paul, he reiterates this idea in Galatians 5, 1, when he says this. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So check that juxtaposition between burdened and rest. Christ came to give us rest for our souls, to grant us freedom. And when we do not delight in the laws that God has given to us, we are succumbing once again to a yoke of slavery. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which... 
wage war against your soul. Now highlight that. That's so important. It's not just abstain from these certain things. It's no, abstain from them because they wage war on your soul. And in doing so, we're putting back on a yoke of slavery. It's putting us in bondage when we don't delight in the laws that God has given us. And I believe that that's how David's soul was restored. Because remember, he says in Psalm 23, he says, He restores my soul. And then he says, He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. The idea being that, that man, I, I've chosen to be on the path that he's leading me, and that restores my soul. In the deepest aspect of myself, when I just follow after God's desires for my life, my soul becomes restored. And then some 400 years later, Jeremiah uh, 6.16, Jeremiah says this. He says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Undoubtedly, Jeremiah knows here in this moment about David's Psalm 23 as we know it now. And he's saying, you remember the, you remember the ways that our ancestors walked? You remember, you remember when David was at a crossroads? You remember when, when enemies were, were, were facing him and there was tensions and there was things for him to kind of go a different way to say this whole God thing's not working out and I just need to rely on my own strength? You remember, you remember when he was faced with those things and yet what he decided to do ultimately at that crossroads is to just follow the path that God had for him, follow the path of righteousness? He says, you remember that some 400 years ago? He says, do that now. Do that now. When you stand at that crossroads, man, do that now. Follow after his ways. And some of us here this morning, man, we're at a crossroads. I mean, some of you right now in this moment are at a crossroads. And maybe it's your marriage. Maybe there's one of two ways you can go right now to say, you know what, we're just going to kind of run out the clock on this thing, or maybe I'm considering leaving, or maybe I'm considering turning to other things. Man, follow the ancient path. Follow the path that David set forth to say, I'm just going to delight in the law of God, and I'm just going to go where he tells me to go. Or maybe it's your career. Or maybe for a while you've thought, you know, something's not quite right here. I don't know if I should really be doing this, but yet I'm thinking about these things. And you're, you're at a crossroads as if to say, I don't know whether I need to be obedient by doing something else or coming to my boss about this or something. Man, follow the way of God and there will be rest there for your souls. Or maybe some of you are experiencing serious health issues. And you're at a crossroads. Do I give in to despair right now or hopelessness? Or do I continue to delight in the Lord and His laws? Do I continue on the ancient path of David to say, my soul is restored through these paths of righteousness? Do I just submit and say, God, I know I'm not lonely. I know it's not hopeless. I put my stock in Your finished work. I, I put my stock in Your law. That I am saved. My soul is saved. And also, You can restore my soul. And You do it through Your law. It's so important when we stand at a crossroads to say, one of them is going to lead me into a wounded soul or a dead soul, 
And then the other one is going to lead me into a singing soul. The one that delights in the law of God will lead us into singing despite our circumstance. There's one more thing we got to know about the soul. God Himself has a soul. We see several places in the Scriptures, but I want us to focus in on Matthew 12 here as we conclude the series. It says this, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, talking about Jesus here, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. So this is in reference to the coming Jesus. This is all the way back in Isaiah. This is a prophecy that was written by Isaiah. But in the deepest part of God the Father, in his soul, he is well pleased with Jesus. Other translations say that he delights in him, that he's well pleased and he calls him his beloved. But remember how we talked about on Wednesday night, that we have imputed righteousness through Christ. We became the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21, to reiterate. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And those who have new life in Christ are now in Christ. We are in Christ as Christians, which means... Now, when the Father looks at us, because he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ in the deepest part of himself, his soul, he is pleased when he looks at us. I mean, there are probably some in here who who have never really even thought about that. That when the Father looks at us and sees the finished work of Jesus Christ, he looks at us and he is pleased. And he calls us his beloved and, and many of us, we just, man, we feel like we've got to earn our way. And we duck our head down because we continue to get it wrong at times. And, and we just say, God will one day be pleased with me if I get it right. But we have imputed righteousness through Jesus Christ. And he looks at us and he is pleased. And there's nothing you can do about that. Good or bad when you're in Christ. And so this morning, man... There are practical things that we can put in place that the law of God will instruct our soul and it will lead us into restoration to our soul, but also just that one truth that in the deepest part of God, His soul, He is pleased with us, that will inform some things for our soul right now in this moment. And so as we conclude this series, we've talked about the mind talked about the heart, we've talked about the body, we've talked about the soul. Where do we need to lean into love of God in those areas? I mean, maybe there are things in our minds that maybe we just continue to focus on things that aren't of Him. Or in our hearts, man, we're so focused on different areas that, that aren't of Him. In our body, man, our actions, they just don't reflect the fact that we love Him so much. Or maybe our souls are wounded this morning. Maybe our souls are dead this morning. Now's a great time to just say, God, I I just surrender it all to You. My body, my heart, my mind, and my soul. Submit all these things under love of You because we know that's where life is found. Maybe that's You this morning. Whatever you need to do to respond, man, I pray, God, Holy Spirit, just... 
just move in our hearts during this time. I mean, we, we know the truth. We, we've just read about it, but yet the enemy is still at work. And I just pray that you'll, you'll have a hedge of protection right now in this building during this time of worship just to say, God, I surrender it all to you. And the things that aren't of you, I just repent and I just say, God, please form these things. Form these things under you. Father, I'm, just, I'm tired of having a wounded soul. I'm tired of, of having a dead soul. I'm just, I'm just so tired. I'm just so weary. And I never really even realized it before, but I know that that's me this morning. And I just want to step into the freedom that you've given to us. I don't want to be burdened by slavery anymore. I don't want to be burdened by these things. I just, I just want you. I mean, I just, I just want it your way. I mean, truly, within the depths of me, the deepest parts of me, I just want it your way. I just want everything to be of you. Father, I pray that you'll make us a church where that is our prayer today, tomorrow, and always. We just want it your way. And we also know that life is found your way. We love you very much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's worship.